Hello everyone, welcome to the third episode of With You In Mind. My name is Sarah Bullock-Chase and I'm joined by my co-pilot Lisa Upton. We are the co-founders of Brain Buddy and together we are going to be your podcast hosts. Before we get started and introduce you to our special guest, we would like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, the National Brain Appeal, who are the supporting charity of the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery and the sponsors of With You In Mind. Now, let's cue that jingle and get this episode started. Absolutely delighted to be recording our third episode with you today with a very, very special guest indeed. Today we've got Anna Mizorocci with us. Anna is a neurosurgeon here at Queen Square and after training with her father in Milan, Anna continued the family tradition in epilepsy and also in awake surgery by training both in the United States and here in the UK. As a leading neurosurgeon of her generation, Anna was appointed consultant at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in 2015. And we've got her here especially for you today. Anna, now I know that Sarah and I know you well, but uh, for the purpose of this and for the people that don't know you, can you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes. So um, I am a consultant neurosurgeon. I work at Queen Square Hospital and I've been working there for the past 10 years Um, although I did my training in Italy which is where I come from and my main areas of interest in neurosurgery are epilepsy surgery and tumor surgery and that's what I do. Amazing so you mentioned epilepsy surgery there what um, what specifically drew you to that area of neurosurgery? So it's a very interesting field because uh, there is always a lot of innovation and ongoing technology coming up. But I think it's also very interesting because it's one of those type of surgery that it can really change, uh, you know, it can really change the, the patient life because a lot of our patients, well, all the patients having surgery for epilepsy, they have epilepsy which is resistant to the medication and the whole idea is to try and do an operation to make sure you can treat the seizures in the best case scenarios the seizures are going to go away forever and and sometimes if that doesn't happen you can still improve the number of seizures and it's 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 a very rewarding field because often patients are young and, you know, the epilepsy kind of keeps their life on hold. Um, and, and, you know, they have a real chance with surgery to make things better. Mm. And it's an interesting field because it's never really the surgeon by himself or herself. It's, it's a combination of, you know, our patients are looked after by neurologists, by psychologists, psychiatrists, and... You know, there is a lot of interaction with other fields of medicine and um, it's never like you're making decisions by yourself. It's a very com- 
it's a very pondered decisions with, with other specialties. And I think that's what makes it very interesting. Mm. We had uh, Sally Baxendale, one of the neuropsychologists on our last uh, podcast, and she was telling us just the same. It's such a collaborative yeah. effort. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's one of the skills in where the surgeons get sold by other people what to do, yeah. which doesn't happen very often. <laughs> we have to take it away for epilepsy surgery. But is a no, I think it's um, you know, it's a big decision because uh, it's a big decision for the patient. And, you know, there are risks with the operation. Um, there are also potential side effects from psychological point of view, psychiatric point of view. So everyone really needs to be involved in the, in the decision making. So for patients that are embarking on neurosurgery, you know, of any yes. kind, could you talk us through the procedure? You know, we appreciate there are different types of neurosurgery. I think... So the first thing to say is that, um, you know, all our patients, they come to us after they've been through a very long pathway because they've seen a number of specialties, as we just said. And I think that the most important thing is that when they come for an operation, uh, well, actually, the most important thing is when they make the decision about having the operation. So, you know, in epilepsy, when we're offering the surgery, we never ask the patient to make a decision there and then. Um, we explain the risks, we explain the process, the, the, you know, what, what are going to be the possible uh, good outcomes, um, complications, and things that can happen very rarely. So the patient has to be prepared about accepting the risks um, there are in terms of standard procedure I think we can probably divide the, the main group of epilepsy surgery it, it's just divided in two main groups so one is an open operation to try and make the part of the brain which is responsible for the epilepsy but then we also have another group of patients in which we need to try and find out where the epilepsy is coming from. And for these patients, what we need to do is actually implanting electrodes into the brain. And, and then subsequently, if we find the area responsible for the seizures, we can decide to remove that part of the brain. Now for patients, I think I'm gonna focus in today on the patients who need an open operation. So, they all have to be prepared with simple things, really, like some of the hair are going to be shaved. And we're good surgeons, but not good hairdressers. So we always apologize for what comes after our shaving of the hair. Um, and one of the aspects which I think, you know, sometimes probably we tend to underestimate as surgeons because they is it's the immediate post-operative um, discomfort in the area of the skin incision, in the area where we've done the operation. And you know that discomfort can be a few days of headaches, pain, and you know, it's probably something that we not mention in clinic immediately because we're more worried about bigger complications such as strokes and infection. But for sure, it's something that in the immediate postoperative period for the patient 
it's something that that's quite a bit of importance. Um, other risks uh, that can come with surgery, uh, you know, when you're a surgeon, there is always a risk of infection, bleeding, and stroke. Now, all these risks that per se are small in percentage, uh, they're actually quite low, but they can, you know, they can. There are real complications. They happen rarely, but when they happen, it's clearly very unpleasant. Um, I think the the other important aspect is that it will take few weeks and few months to get over the operation, in the sense that we always tell the patient, you know, that they're going to wake up from the general anesthetic. And they should be exactly as they were when they went to sleep. So they're going to recognize me. They're going to recognize their families. They're going to move their arms. They're going to move their legs. They're going to be able to speak. They're going to be able to walk the day after, go to the loo, etc. But is is actually the, the tiredness that comes from it, the emotional distress that comes from it. They're all things that I think patients do realize when they when they get home after the hospital in stay. And they're all things that they gradually ease off, but it, it does take, I, I, the, the, probably the biggest part of it goes away in a few weeks, four to six weeks, but I guess it can take really a good few months to completely get over the whole, the whole process. So I think patients and families, they have to be prepared in, a, what to expect and, and 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 what can and what can happen and how long is going to take and you know tiredness is very normal uh pain is very normal all these things are um are going to happen but um yeah i think knowing in advance is always helpful and that's kind of why Sarah and I set BrainBuddy up really to just link people together who were, you know, facing that 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 thing of going through brain surgery. And it, it's it's interesting. Interesting you mentioned there about the hair. I mean, it was one of the the things that was on my mind. If I'm honest, it was one of the most important things to me that I really wanted to know what would happen with my hair. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. It, uh, and I have to say, you actually did quite a good job of mine. So hats off to you. <laughs> that's good. That's good to know. <laughs> no, you're right. It's often one of the first questions that we get, and 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 you're right. It's one of those things that you know, if you look normal after the operation, you feel normal. But you know, for us, we're clearly we we know that your hair are gonna go are gonna grow back, and we would be a lot more worried if you had. A stroke or a bleed or, or something of that of that scale so um, it, it's true I now ha I I have to say I do tell everybody how much we're going to shave um <laughs> so at least they're, at least they're, they're, they're prepared and, and they know mm. Mm. So you mentioned a few of the commonalities there that people experience after brain surgery, the tiredness um, and some of that stuff. But is there anything else that you think is is quite common in people after brain surgery? Uh, after brain surgery in general or epilepsy surgery? Let's say brain surgery in general. Brain surgery in general. Um, I think really that the, probably the tiredness is, is the most um, striking thing. And 
Um, and I guess, uh, I don't know, I have to say that most of patients actually tend to cope quite well in, 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 the, long, in the long term, in the, in the long run. I think it's more about yeah, being prepared for what is going to happen and, and, and be ready for what is going to happen. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, I have to say, I think tiredness, that is the main, the main, and fatigue is the main aspect. And, and sometimes, you know, with the particular type of surgery we do with epilepsy, that can be a hit to, to memory. Some of the patients might have some aspect of the memory being slightly less, you know, prompt and less and less good as, as it used to be. Um, this, I would say, are the main aspects, yeah. What about loud noise? Because that's something Sarah yeah. and I experience. Yes, actually, yes, you, you're right. Um, it, being in situations that are, I think, being in stressful situation, you're, you're correct. So having to deal with too many stimuli, maybe it could be visual or it could be audio. It could be, you know, you're absolutely correct, like crowded places. You know, you don't like being bombarded with too many, um, with too many stimuli. And, and I often tell the patient, when you go home, uh, you shouldn't be staying in bed all day. So do your walks, go out, but go in steps. It's not the time to run a marathon when you had the operation. You don't need to prove to anybody that you can run a marathon. It's just you have to uh, take slowly, you know, do your a daily routine which is not too fatiguing and a lot of the patients actually they're good in finding out themselves what's their limit and there are certain things that you you might you know that you normally might enjoy doing like going out and being in a crowd of places and you may not like that for a few months but you need to find where what's good and what what makes you recover and what is too much to actually be able to yeah. make you recover. If, if anything, is it something about learning, beginning to learn actually your own boundaries, your own abilities again in a different way and take care? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, another aspect that probably we haven't touched here, but it's important, like after brain surgery for a period of time, you can't drive. Depending on what type of operation you're having, that period of time changes. But that is also quite something that, you know, your, your private life, depending on where you live. Like in London, maybe you don't need the car that much, but outside London, you, you know, you might drive a lot more. So these are other things that are to be taken into account. Yeah. We actually wonder now, if we could kind of move on to something slightly different, we actually wonder what it's like in the life of being a neurosurgeon yourself. <laughs> so I wonder if you can tell us a typical day or is there no typical day? You know, is everything new? I mean, say a bit about uh, it. Yeah. So, yeah, a typical day. Um, <laughs> so they're always very long. Um, they tend to start quite early in the morning, rating you you see the patient early in the morning, then you meet with the rest of the surgical team. And then you prepare for the operation, you get your operation done, and then you wait for, for the patient to wake up. 
and then you make sure that the relatives know that the patient is fine especially these days with covid like relatives can no longer come to hospital which has been quite a big change i have to say mm -hmm. um so the days are long and they're going to be days where the operations are more complex and you may feel a little bit more stressed mm. or worried uh, worried in the sense that you know when thing when the operations are delicate and high risk uh, the, you know we always tell the patient we're always very honest about it but that doesn't make you feel better uh, you still always want things to go in the right way and yes and then they're busy with other things so you you not only have the patient that you're operating on but you also have the other patients that have already been admitted on the ward so you need to go and see them and make sure they're all right and they're safe uh, there will be the outpatient clinics where you have to speak to the patients and explain them the operation and or what you've done and a lot of boring paperwork, which everyone has <laughs> in their own activities. And even neurosurgeons are, yeah, are overloaded with paperwork. So, and then you try to do your research on top of that and collaborating. And yes, yeah, so interesting, but tiring and mm. quite demanding. Sounds it. <laughs> what? What is or has been the longest surgery you've actually done? Oh, goodness me. Um, definitely we've done 10 hours and longer than 10 hours. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You do take, you know, you normally tend to operate with another surgeon and you maybe alternate. And um, But yes, we've gone long hours. Wow. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's an, it must be an incredibly stressful job, Anna. I can't even imagine. I mean, lots of times in my job, I mean, I work for a bank and when I'm struggling to understand something, people quite often use that famous uh, <laughs> saying, Lisa, it's not, it's not brain surgery. It's, it's not, not rocket brain. science. Um, <laughs> so I can only imagine how stressful your job is. It's, um, but I, so I have to say, I, what I think makes it more tricky is everything else that is around surgery as well so in the days in which you are in theater focusing on your operation and you might have one or two patients those you know they are tiring but actually that's what you've been training for for your entire life and and it's it's like it gives you that sense of um you know when the operation goes well, it's, it's, it's rewarding as well at the same time. Um, is having to arrange everything around how, I mean, the operation goes well because, you know, someone has consented the patient on time, the patient knows what's going to be happening, the scans are ready, the bloods are ready, the theatre equipment is there, and it's, it's having everything ready for that thing that makes it, it's a lot of work that goes into doing your job properly and, and timely. It goes back to what you said earlier, doesn't it, about that collaboration piece. It's a machine yeah, that is so well-oiled to work um, yes. together. Absolutely. 
So what is, I, I can only imagine, but what are some of the highs and lows of your job then and your role? Highs and lows. So I think the highs are always the gratefulness of the patients. And if it's not the gratefulness of the patient, is a family that realize they have been looked after properly. You know, sometimes there are diseases that we can't cure, we can treat, but we can't cure and or complications that, uh, you know, they get to a point where, uh, you know, the patient doesn't make it, but you've done your best. And, and it's, I think the highs is always when your, when your efforts are recognized. And then, and for me, that's really, you know, when when you feel like you've done your job as a doctor, I think th- these are the highs. And lows are, uh, well, certainly the admin is a low. <laughs> you can't get rid of it, but that's for sure not when you're feeling fulfilled as a surgeon. Um, but I think we all get moments of difficulties when, when something goes wrong, which... Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a mistake. It can be a, 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 you know, you do the operation the same way and 99 times the operation goes well, one time an infection happens. And, and you've done the same thing as all the other 99 times and you don't know why that case has an infection. Um, so yeah, so the lows and the stress is when, is when things are not going the way you would like them to go. Mm. So, and yeah, and then I have to say there are also moments in which like, well, you know, when we're doing on calls, you might get moments in which you're very busy because you get more referrals and then you have to make sure that everyone gets the right attention and the right thing. So you have to kind of divide yourself in, in many ways and make sure that the whole system is, is running uh, efficiently. But yeah, I think highs is the rewards of the gratefulness and and i think other things from which you get highs from is when you you know you when there are new techniques that are coming that you can embrace when there are new technologies that you're trying to implement and and these are things that might treat other patients or you you know and and when some of your research gets approved and things like that these are other things from which you get um you know fulfillment but i think for me always remains really when things are going well and the patients are happy Mm. (laughs) that i think is the best of the rewards we wonder as well you know what's it like as well being a female within a male dominant area actually Oh God, that's a question I always fear. Um, I so I've been lucky that I have always met male who didn't care about the fact I was a female. It was about you either you know can you do your job yes or no. Um, so from that point of view, I don't think I've ever felt um, I don't know discarded because I was a female. Um, uh, on the other hand, I think with the fact that the job in terms of hours and physical strength, 
probably some parts of your private life are are struggling a little bit more like you have less free time or or you know you can't really be the person that on Wednesday is out at one o'clock in the morning when you're operating the day after mm-hmm. um yes this type of things uh but I I suspect you know those things might be the same for for a male neurosurgeon I don't think I don't think any of my colleagues go to bed at one o'clock in the morning to be honest <laughs> I think I think by eight or nine or ten we're all dead in bed <laughs> um yeah so how it is being a female is a uh, is demanding but I don't know I think when I will be 60 I probably would be able to make a better balance out of this uh-huh. and um I'll, I'll let you know we'll do another podcast in <laughs> years <and see. laughs> 10 years in the future yeah but, 20 but, years know, I, I can't say you know career-wise mm-hmm. um I don't think there has been any held back in my career because of, of me being a female. Uh, I have put a lot of effort into my job, that, that's for sure. But I think in the type of job that we do, to get certain results, everyone will need to put a big effort anyway, mm. no matter what sex you are. Absolutely. Mm. What sort of reaction do you get from new people that you meet, Anna, when you tell them that you're a neurosurgeon? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the funny thing. I think there's a bit of a ah. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you sometimes even not yeah. tell them? Do you just make up another job or something? Yeah, so I have to say there have been situations where like, what do you do? And now I started going, I'm a doctor. And then um. if they if they ask more, I, I tell more. But I think when you go in like, yeah, I'm a neurosurgeon and and it, the reaction sometimes is like oh my god really and and yeah some it scares people off a little bit I have to say maybe male more than female <laughs> they get be like oh my god really um yeah so I turn I either you're right I either say I'm a doctor and then yeah. if they ask for more I tell more mm. um yeah I hardly ever go with the I am a neurosurgeon <laughs> I, I mean, never I, go, I never, I never kick in like that. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd totally be wearing the badge saying I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm a neurosurgeon, <laughs> but I completely understand why you would want to downplay mm. it. Uh, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not sure you really want to know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you then relax? You know, away from mm. your job, away from what you do. You know, mm. do you have any hobbies outside of it? Yes, I do. Um, the, the, the main thing is finding the strength and the motivation to keep them going, because mm. I have to say, I think we all learn with the pandemic that the couch is such an easy, is such an easy choice. Couch and Netflix are such an easy choice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I tend to exercise regularly, um, both because I really need it to just to let the the stress get going off mm-hmm. um so i just need i need to do that regularly and also because you know we we stand long hours when we're operating you know it can be seven eight hours for three days in a week and that is quite a long time and you're never like you're not like walking you're just standing in the same place with your hands doing little movements with your eyes down a microscope your neck a bit 
not in the perfect position. So you do need quite a bit of exercising and just make sure that you, you know, your body feels well with what you're doing. Um, and then, yeah, I have and there are a number of things that I like. Um, I like cooking with my friends. Um, I play the piano. And oh. Yeah, yeah. And I do quite like singing. Uh, I always do when I by myself, so no one can hear. <laughs> but the, fr- the friends that have heard me, they say that I'm, I'm good, but I don't know if they say that because they're my friends. But, uh, yeah, so I like, I like playing. Um, yeah, I do actually play the piano and the guitar. Um, I've done some drawing. I'm not particularly good at it, but it's a very interesting activity to do because really... You know, the fundamentally teach you that, you know, to be able to draw, you put down on paper what you believe you're seeing. And the amount of concentration that you put into looking at something, it just drives your mind away from any single preoccupation that you possibly have because you have to concentrate so much. And to try and relax, yeah, I, I actually, I've, I'm not doing a lot of yoga these days, but I have done quite a fair amount of yoga in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be more actively these days, but yeah, this and cooking is quite, is quite something. Being Italian, cooking has a uh-huh. big, yes, <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big thing in my life. It sounds nice, you know, doing something that's separate, that's different actually from your job, takes you away, you know, uses different skills, different thoughts, different. No, you, yeah. you, you have to, because mm. in, when you go to work, it, it, I guess, you know, when we go and see the, a doctor, you want that doctor to to take your problems on their shoulders, and you have to be in the mood to be able to do it. Like you need to have the strength to be able to do it. And you know, epilepsy—it's it, quite a, a rewarding field, but tumor surgery sometimes, you know, there, you know, a diagnosis really change your your life and mm-hmm. and and it's also emotionally quite intense so you have to be able to you know take the emotions of the patients on board but you have to be able to re- give back confidence and you yeah yeah i suppose you have to be quite emotionally agile don't you because you on one hand you well I I, so I'm terrible at that I've cried so many times with my patients (laughs) I shouldn't be saying but I you have to be I I think so every doctor is different I guess I I have to say when patients are getting emotional in front of me I I sometimes I do tend to get emotional as well Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that there are days in which I feel I am you know so there are there will be days when you're more tired and someone else has been emotional hits you a lot more mm. and because you're kind of like oh my god it could have been me in that situation and and it just it just gets to you I think it, it's very human it's mm. impossible for that not to happen but yeah I think there is always you need to be able to and I don't know it's always about getting in touch with the person that is in front of you at the right level yeah. Uh, some patient needs reassurance some others just need to be um, shaken a little bit more or you know it's, um, yeah it's always finding the relationship with the patient 
I think that makes you quite unique, though, Anna, if I'm honest, because there's a lot of doctors and surgeons out there that are very sort of almost removed from the emotional experience of it. So I would say absolutely makes you human. And from a patient perspective, it really gives that patient so much, not only confident, but just reassurance that, yeah, the right person is, is doing it. Uh, thank you. I, I think there is something in that because you see the human then in you. Mm. Just a professional in a certain position of a different hierarchy in a way of power. It's actually you see that human side, that care, that nurture. It is, I don't know, I, but I, if, if one of your main rewards comes from patients being grateful, I think in I've been in situations where, you know, I actually had some of the relatives comforting me for something that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. Like, <laughs> it's like a relative telling me that not to worry about things. And, you know, but there would be days in which we are so tired and, and you're like, oh my God, I'm really sorry, but things have not gone the way they should have gone. And we've tried this and this and this and this and this and it's still not working. And you're like, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it happened not very often, but luckily not often at all, but it does happen. Bless you. Such a hard, intense job. Um, you mentioned you mentioned some of those initiatives earlier. One of the high highlights of uh, your what you do in your job is when those initiatives that you, I suppose, think about and create take off and you see them implemented. Is there anything in the future that you've uh, had the idea of put forward and it's now being run working. with? Yeah, so, well, we've uh, we've been working quite hard in trying and get uh, laser ablation surgery started in the UK. Um, you know, it's something that in the, in the US has been ongoing for the past few years. Uh, but, you know, the, the US has been a, a private system, healthcare system, you know, things are, are just much easier. As long as there's someone who pays, things can happen. Um, but that is really something I'm hoping we're going to get able to start over the next, over the next year or so on a Queen Square as well. Um, and that opens up a solution for some of the patients where, in, you know, when we, so sometimes for epilepsy surgery, the part of responsible for the epilepsy is on the surface of the brain. So the operation in a way is easier because we open and the part that we need to resect is just sitting there and looking at us. But there are sometimes areas where the epilepsy coming from that are very deep seated in the brain. And we can't really go through the entire normal brain to take out that part. So the advantage of the laser would be that you can place this little catheter in the deep area and then just um, sort of burn that area. And, and the, the idea is that the damaging that area is like the equivalent of taking that part out with surgery. And, and, you know, there are some patients which sometimes we find the parts responsible for the seizures, but it's so deeply located that we can't take it out. So I'm hoping that this new technology is going to, is going to help with this patient that at the moment we, we are unable to operate on. 
Wow, sounds super exciting that uh, that that's happening, Anna. One yeah. final question before we let you go. <laughs> final question. Um, obviously, COVID, we're starting to see it. Um, you know, easements happening and things like that. Is normal life starting to resume for you now, or did it never really stop? Uh, normal life in what sense? <laughs> as in the job, as in <laughs> as in the surgery. And so it's still quite difficult. So the so the hospital still runs with with two separate pathways okay so before covid i could put patients on every list so i used to have like two dedicated lists for me slash three in a week and i could do all my patients on these lists but now with covid patients who can't self-isolate and and they need emergency treatment when they come to hospital, they need to be done in separate lists. So that means that the overall number of uh, operating theatre for elective surgery has to be reduced because you have to see some separated lists for those that are not elective. And the organisation around it is so complex because when you get a lot of emergencies, there's no space on the emergency lists and you end up operating in days in which uh, you're normally not operating, but then you're also operating when you're normally, so it's a lot busier and a lot more complex to arrange. Um, So sadly, we are much better than when we were in January and February, when also we really, you know, we had a lot of COVID in hospital as well, Um, but we're nowhere near the activity isn't normal like it used to be it's not one and a half year ago a year ago yeah it's better but sadly not as it used to be just like us all then you'll be glad to see the back of this and uh things getting back to normal well i suspect though that um, we're gonna have to live with covid for quite some time Anna, any any final words for anyone that's waiting to have brain surgery um, that you can give? Um, any final word? I think, you know, these days with the uh, social media and everything, I think uh, it's always very easy to Google and find other things. But it's always sometimes I always say, like, even over Googling, I'm not sure it makes it, it, it's, it, I'm not sure it's good because then you find, you know, there are a lot of experiences out there, but it's not necessarily the patient per se experience and every patient is different. So one of my advice would be um, come prepared in the sense that, you know, you have to feel like you've asked all the questions that you wanted to ask and that you, you're comfortable with your decision and then especially in the post-operative period i think i was don't pretend too much from yourself that's really not the time to be a superhero uh no it's true because most of us will go through the life without having an operation as big as brain surgery okay it's not like taking the appendix. It's, it's a much, much, I, I think even mentally, the level of stress is, um, you know, to going through someone is, you know, putting their hands into my brain. That's where I think. That's where I move. That's where I speak. That's where my memories are. It's a, 
no, it's a lot of um, emotions that comes with that decision. Uh, so I think really I would say make sure you're going to be supported when you go home. Don't pretend too much. Uh, make sure you had all your the questions that you wanted to know they've been answered and and maybe you know support groups where I think like these podcasts or you know the brain body meetings that we used to have when it, what is also you know there are patients but there are also doctors there which are telling you facts as they, as they are I think there are very important meetings and places where you can get information Mm. and we hope to be back at queen square really soon let's hope mm. so fingers crossed well anna listen it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much you're welcome thank you for inviting thank me thank you oh what an absolute pleasure that was to be joined by anna miserocci and learn all about what it's like to be a neurosurgeon as well as understanding some of the great things that have been happening at the national hospital of neurology and neurosurgery now join us next time when Sarah and I will be joined by a patient from the National Hospital who has recently undergone brain surgery. They'll be sharing their experience of that journey and just what it meant to them. Until then, you can keep updated on our latest podcast by following us on all social media platforms. And we'll see you next time. Until then, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned. <laughs>